I found a letter that uh, may be fitting and appropriate for this time, it seems to be. And um, it's a letter that was sent home from a Texas farm kid who uh, was enduring marine boot camp training. And so here's how the letter goes. Dear Ma and Pa, I'm well. Hope you are. Tell my brothers Walt and Elmer that the Marine Corps beats working for that old man Mitch by a long mile. Tell them to join up quick before all these places are filled. I was restless at the first because you get to stay in bed till nearly 6 a.m. But I'm getting so uh, like I like to sleep in late. And tell Walt and Elmer all you do before breakfast is just smooth your cot and shine some things. No hogs to slop, feed to pitch, mash to mix, wood to split, fire to lay. Practically nothing. Men got to shave, but it's not so bad. There's warm water. Breakfast is strong on trimmings like fruit juice, cereal, eggs, bacon, all those good things, but kind of weak on chops and potatoes and ham and steak and fried eggplant and pie and other regular food. But tell Walt and Elmer that you can always sit by these two city boys who live off of coffee. Their food plus yours holds you to about noon until you get fed again. It's no wonder these city boys can't walk much. We go on these route marches, which the platoon sergeant says are our long walks to harden us. Well, if he thinks so, it's not my place to tell him any different. A route march is about as far as we go to our home mailbox. Then these city guys get sore feet, and we all get to ride back in trucks. The sergeant is like a school teacher. He nags a lot. The captain's like the school board. Majors and colonels just ride around and frown. They don't bother you none. This next will kill Walton Elmer with laughing, for I keep getting medals for shooting. I don't know why the bullseye is near as big as a chipmunk head and doesn't move. <laughs> and it ain't shooting. Uh, at, back at you like those Higgett boys back at home. <laughs> all you got to do is lie there all comfortable and hit it. You don't even have to load your own cartridges. They come in boxes. Then we have what they call hand-to-hand -hand combat training, and you get to wrestle with all those city boys. I have to be real careful, though. They break real easy. I ain't like fighting with that old bull at home, no. Nothing like to him. I, I'm about the best they've got in this, except that Tug Jordan from over in Silver Lake, I only beat him once. He joined up at the same time as me, and I'm only 5'6", 130 pounds, but he's 6'8", and 300 pounds when he's dry. Be sure to tell Walt and Elmer to hurry up and join before the other fellows get onto this setup and come stampeding in. Signed, your loving daughter, Alice. <laughs> Kudos to all you Texas beefy women who were raised on the farm of Texas. Well, it's 11.32. I know I'm the only, between, only thing between you and lunch, so I will get us out of here in appropriate time. I have my pictures here that my son drew for me up here, so I'm going to cherish them while I'm 
speaking to you today. A few years ago, I had heard a phrase that caught my attention. And the phrase that caught my attention was this phrase here. It said, don't curse your crisis because a faith that, is, that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. That's good, isn't it? A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. And it got to me to rethink and to reanalyze the crisis moments of my life. Got me to thinking through some things, and it got, got to me stirring in my mind that uh, maybe, just maybe, there are crisis moments that happen in my life and in our lives, and there may be a divine purpose for them. And I think our messages are always born from personal experiences and what we've learned in life. And so I've been around the block a few times, and I just want to impart to you some revelation that the Lord has given me. I've entitled today's message, Don't Curse Your Crisis. I'm going to be reading today from uh, two uh, verses of New Testament Scripture in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles or electronic pieces, you can turn there or boot it up to there. 2 Chronic, uh, Corinthians chapter 1 and John chapter 11. They'll also be on the screen. I believe they're going to have that for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 3. For all praise to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts us. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. And when others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given to us. And you can be sure that the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. So when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your benefit and salvation. And I want you to get that. It is for your benefit and your salvation. For when God comforts us, it is so that we in turn can be an encouragement to you. And then you can patiently endure the same things that we suffer. John chapter 11. And there was a man named Lazarus who was sick. And he lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. And this is the Mary who poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, the one you love is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, for it is the glory of God. For I, the Son of God, will receive glory from this. And although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days and did not go to them. Must have been, had an extension at the Holiday Inn Express that day. Finally, after two days, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea, Judea again. Skip to verse number 11. And then Jesus said to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and I will wake him up. Well, the disciples said, Lord, if he's just sleeping, then that means he's getting better. 
Well, they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was having a good night's rest, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. And then he plainly told them, Lazarus is dead. And verse number 15 is what I want you to catch today. And for your sake, I am glad. And I'm going to end it mid-sentence. You may shut your Bibles and turn off your Bibles. And for your sake... I am glad. The reason I'm dealing with this particular subject today is because I believe that many people spend their lives trying to avoid crisis moments and not fully understanding the value that a crisis can bring in our lives. And many of us have been handed a wrong picture that if a crisis comes, that we think something must be going wrong. Now see, there's one side of the coin that, that, that when crisis comes, it could have come because you made a bad decision. How many of you know there are consequences to our bad decisions? Many of us have paid dearly for wrong decisions. Many times it was out of ignorance. We weren't just thinking it through. We wasn't seeking the face of the Lord. Whatever those were, we made a bad decision. And there are consequences that we suffer. And there are crisis moments that arise out of our ignorance. But I don't want to talk about that side of the coin today. I want to talk about the side of the coin. What if, just what if, did God allow crisis moments to happen on purpose for your life, for your benefit, and for His glory? So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you a totally different perspective by flipping the other side of the coin and letting you know that some things that you may be going through right now may be just intentional by God. And here you are beating yourself up. You feel like you're fighting a spiritual warfare from the enemy when in fact it was the Lord that is allowing certain things to happen in your life on purpose for your benefit and for His. Now I'm going to go somewhere with this, so kind of hang with me here. It seems like we sit here on this earth and we think God is sitting up in heaven with these darts. And every time we do something bad or did something wrong, that we feel these darts that hit us. And that's all God's purposes in life is that he just punishes us all the time by throwing these darts at us. That's not the God that we serve. And I've lived long enough not to judge my storms until they're over. How many of you know hindsight is twenty twenty? And you go through a difficult time of life, and you allow time to pass, and then you look back, and then you realize, ah, oh, I get it now. Now I know why I went through that. So I don't judge my situations that I'm in now because I don't have a clear perspective on it. I don't see the full picture. And there are some crisis things, that moments that you're going through right now, even as I'm speaking, you're remembering them in your head. They're, they're going they're to come to your remembrance and I'm telling you this, that God has a purpose for your crisis moment, and that we shouldn't curse it, because there is a blessing in disguise. And the things that come into our lives that may look like that they've come to hurt us, ultimately could be that which propels us to greater levels and dimensions in God. Why did Jesus wait two more days to go see Lazarus and let him die? Because Jesus was wanting to show himself mighty and powerful. 
Jesus was trying to prove a point. He wasn't insensitive. He really had a heart and a love for Lazarus, a great friend of of Jesus. But Jesus wanted to show up and show off his glory and his power and his might. And there are times in our struggles and our difficulties and adversities that that we are in something and we feel like that the Lord is out to get us or we feel like the Lord has forgotten about us when in fact he knows exactly where you are and he knows the reason and the purpose. God, why aren't you getting me out of this quicker than this? Because he's doing something that you don't see or realize. Why didn't this door open up? Because my bathroom's on the other side of that door. Not much of a crisis moment. But for some people, it can be a crisis moment. Why was that door locked? As small and insignificant as that seems of a door being locked to their house for the Lord to send somebody in their path to share the gospel to and him serve the Lord to this day and that he'll be in heaven. There's a purpose for closed doors. Because you see, if the Lord hadn't closed this door then this door would have never opened over here. And we get so mad and so frustrated because of our human nature that when doors close, and we want that door to be open, we picked that door. We didn't pick this door, but we did this one, and I want this one open, but the Lord knows what's on the other side. And He knows on the other side of that door is not for the benefit of us or His glory. So He closes doors on purpose. And if this door wouldn't have closed, wouldn't have opened, and this door finally opened, and this is the one that God wanted you to go through, now there's a reason and a purpose for that door to have opened. The things that you thought that were going to be taking you out are going to be the things that God is going to use to bring you in. I want you to hear me today. Because there's people in this room who need to know that your crisis moment that you're going through, that you thought the enemy was there to take you out, that God is going to use to really bring you in into the level and the dimension and the, and the promised land of the Lord in your life. He's going to use it. It's not a surprise to him where you are. God didn't wake up this morning and say, oh, you're having this issue today. He knew about it before the foundations of the earth. There's these TV shows uh, from generations ago, well, generation maybe, maybe two generations. Back in the days when I was younger, some of these were popular family shows. And some of these family shows are like The Cosby Show, yeah, The Brady Bunch. How many of you remember The Brady Bunch? Uh, Leave It to Beaver, yeah, Father's Knows Best. Uh, What are some other ones? What is it? What is it? Lassie. Good family show. Um, so all these family shows, the, the Partridge Family, how do you remember them? I hated that show. <laughs> and so all these family shows. And looking back as a kid watching some of those shows, they had their crisis moments. In their crisis moments, when I compare to the crisis moments that I've been in as an adult, it doesn't compare anything to their crisis moments. 
Because when Bobby Brady loses his voice and they do a whole episode on that, that's not much of a crisis to me. Or, or the Cosby show, their daughter sneaks out and takes the car out for a joyride and gets in an accident. Or maybe Little Beaver hits a baseball, bat, a baseball and it goes through the window of his neighbor. And then there's this crisis moment that they are trying to fix it and they end up at the end of the 30 minutes, they fix the problem, their crisis. And how many of you wish you had those problems, right? My Lord, do I wish I had those kind of problems. Some of those problems could have been fixed with a good spanking. And uh, you pay for the window that you broke and get a, let's get on with our life. Some people have that philosophy. And so we start comparing ourselves to these TV shows to where their crisis really isn't the crisis that people feel today and go through today. And that we look and compare and we think, my goodness, if that is their crisis, then we are so far gone that the situations today that we deal with are more than a broken window and that we're dealing more than a voice change during puberty or taking a car out for a joyride. Or, or even get into a psychedelic van and going around traveling and singing, like the Partridge family. What's that Partridge family song? Something about, we're, yeah, something about get happy. Thank you. I just love crowd participation. Thank you. Getting this psychedelic van to go travel and sing, and they got their issues, and their issues are nothing compared to ours today. Let me tell you something. If some of our families got in a psychedelic fan today, we'd be killing each other. The van would crash, and there'd be lawsuits coming out of it against our cousins and brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, they made life look so simple. But it's no comparison to many of us who are going through today crisis moments that are attempted suicides, deep depression, deep Spiritual oppression, death of loved ones, all of these factor in into situations in our life that go far beyond what these TV shows illustrated in their crisis moments. I was at Starbucks yesterday preparing for today, and I was sitting with my computer open, and I uh, just happened to see a lady with two small kids come in. And uh, the kids were probably about seven, eight, nine, boy and a girl. And you can tell she came in very frustrated. She came in with her voice raised at these kids, looking at the little boy. Now, you've got to, don't be disrespectful. I can't believe you made an issue out of nothing. In front of, in front, I mean, it wasn't that extreme, but it was enough to where I heard it at my table. And she got them their, their food, whatever they were ordering, and they sat at a two-person table, and there wasn't a room for her, so she went and sat on one of the couches in, in the thing, and this is what she did. She went and just sat down, and she just did this. And she stayed like this for about a minute or two, didn't move, but just sat here with her head in her hand. Now, I don't know if that was a crisis moment or not for her. Maybe it was just one of the things in her life that she was dealing with, at the moment, maybe that was a, a crisis for that particular moment. Maybe that afternoon, maybe she got it all together and maybe had a better day. I don't know. But I, I just sensed just 
from being in this long enough to know that I felt like that she had much more going on in her life and the kids were just a product of that. That moment in time for her frustrations, whatever she was dealing with, was probably part of it. But there was a bigger picture going on. And of course, I didn't do anything, but I just felt the urge to pray for her, and I just, under my breath, I prayed for her. Don't know where she is today, don't know her name, never seen her before, but I can only imagine just from knowing life the way it is, that if she was having that much of a problem with those kids, that she would go and sit down and put her hand, her head in her hand for that amount of time. I can imagine that her crisis moments were bigger than what I can ever imagine. And I have a fear that Christianity has painted this beautiful, wonderful picture that after you get saved, that all your problems are going to disappear and that angels are going to surround you playing violins and harps. Bluebirds are going to come and follow you around and chirp sweet songs and melodies in your ear. And that nothing's going to rain on your parade. And that it's going to be a walk through Disneyland. How many of you know life is not like that? But how do you know? You may also know this, that as soon as you get saved, you stir up devils. As a matter of fact, when you give your life to Christ, not only are devils stirred up, but assignments are placed on your, on your spiritual life, even on your physical life. Boy, this is encouraging, Todd. There's a point, there's a method to my madness. But I don't want us to be confused with the fact that once you give your life to, to, uh, to Christ, that everything is hunky-dory and you tiptoe through the tulips and, and rose petals fall out before you everywhere you walk. Because that is not life. Crisis moments happen to every human being, including us Christians. We are not exempt from crisis moments. Jesus had crisis moments as, with himself as, as he was living this earth. His disciples had crisis moments. And if we want to talk about crisis, let's just look at the apostle Paul by himself. Many of us in this room have no idea that if we ever went through the crisis times that the Apostle Paul did, we wouldn't make it but through one of those many things that he went through. You would never wish for a crisis, and you would never pray for a crisis to come, but you can't get through life without pain, and you can't get through life without difficulty. I don't care how saved you are, I don't care how much you prayed, how much you fasted, Crisis, moments, trials, tribulations, struggles, adversities, hardships, they come and none of us are exempt from those moments. It's how we deal in those moments that matter. And I want to get into that in a moment. And it may be difficult for us to understand this, but don't curse your crisis because everything in life grows out of a crisis. You see, a baby is born out of a crisis. What's the crisis? The crisis is it gets too big for the mother's womb. And so when this baby reaches the capacity to where the, the mother's womb cannot take it anymore, that it has a crisis of needing to come out and to expand. And it wouldn't surprise me that God uses some of our crises. Because for some of us, 
we have outgrown where we are right now in the Lord. There are certain levels and certain areas of our life that we have reached our cap, we have reached our potential, we have reached our lid. And it could be that your crisis moment is God stretching you out of where you are now into another place where you can grow and expand bigger. So a baby has a crisis moment of coming out of the womb because of growth. A baby learns how to crawl and walk out of a crisis of immobility. A baby learns uh, how to eat out of a crisis of hunger. And we learn out of a crisis of communication how to talk. A baby eventually learns how to babble at first, and then over time, words start to form because they have a crisis moment to talk and to walk and to do what us adults are doing. For every crisis the moment that we have, it births us into a new level and dimension in God. And I want you to ponder this. What if the Lord made you uncomfortable in your comfort zone on purpose? Or what if he made you feel out of place on purpose? Or he even puts you on the backside of the desert on purpose? And I want you to consider this, that your discomfort might actually be God repositioning you for something greater. And oftentimes our destiny is not where we feel the most comfortable. As a matter of fact, I know God never wants us to reach a level of comfort. Because once we reach a level of being comfortable, we stop growing in Him. We stop seeking after Him. Our passions and our desires and our visions dwindle because our comfort zone causes us to relax. And the Lord never wants us to relax. He's always wanting us to be progressive in our thinking, in our vision, and in our passions. Can I hear an amen? And oftentimes our destiny is not where we're the most comfortable. I call it a divine displacement. An intentional displacement by God. There may have been moments when the things just weren't turning out the way that they're supposed to be. And then all of a sudden, everybody say all of a sudden, you begin to see all of the puzzle pieces start to fit together. And there are times in your life that you don't know what in the world's going on. You don't know why. You don't understand any of it. There is confusion. And then over time, you start to see and look back behind you and see that the Lord is working here and has been working there. And these puzzle pieces start to come together. And you start to see a big picture. And you finally get the revelation of why God took you where he took you through because of the divine purpose. And this divine displacement is just God's way of positioning us for greater influence, for a greater blessing, and greater effectiveness. So don't resist your divine displacements, and don't curse your crisis, because you could be actually pushing back your destiny that the Lord has planned for you. I just want to look momentarily for just that a few things. 
Crisis moments define who you are. It defines who God is. It defines who your friends are. And it defines your determination. You see, when the part that defines who you are, if you've never gone through something that at the time that you were going through it, you didn't know it, but it was really making you into who you are. It was making you into that which God wanted you to be. Just like a butterfly coming out of a cocoon. If the butterfly didn't struggle coming out of that cocoon, then it wouldn't have life. There's a purpose for the struggle of that butterfly. And there's a purpose for the struggles that you go through. It's not what happens to you that matters the most, but what happens in you. For what happens in you will ultimately determine what happens through you. Zig Ziglar says it best. It's not what happens to you that matters, but how you respond to what happens to you that matters and makes the difference. The crisis moment that defines who God is is that God is a God of purpose, design, and order. The universe that we live in is not just a whirling abyss of meaningless nothing. There's divine purpose and order in everything that we do. You see with your eyes and not your nose because he is a God of purpose. You hear with your ears and not with your feet because he's a God of design. Our body is a highway system of veins and arteries that supply blood to every cell because he's a God of order. God doesn't give you strength to overcome. He gives you strength as you overcome. Crisis that define who your friends are. I wish I had time to stick on this, but I, I'm, I know lunch is around the corner. You don't know what's sta- stable in your life until instability hits. You don't know the, what foundation is strong until you have that shaking. It also does things like it, it helps you know what friends are on your side. Because when you go through a crisis moment, you may find out that there are friends that you thought were friends that could care less about your crisis that you're going through. But then you had other people that were peripheral that you never thought were true friends, but when you went through the thing that you were going through, that people started stepping up and saying, hey, I'm praying for you. You can make it. God has something planned for this. Stick stick with it. We're going to get through this. So it determined who your friends are. It also defines your determination. In Mark chapter 2, you have the story of the paralyzed man with the four guys carrying him on his bed. They went through the house where Jesus was teaching. The house was packed. Couldn't get in anywhere. And so the guys got together and says, okay, we've come way too far. We've carried you this far and we're tired. And we're not going to take you back. So we're going to get our promise, we're going to get our, our miracle because that's what we come to do. If we can't go in the door, we can't go through the end of, in the windows and around the back, we can't go under, then we'll just go on top. And so they make their way to the flat roof, which was common in those days. And they started making a hole in this roof while Jesus and the people were below. Now, I guess if you're going to make a hole in anybody's roof, I guess somebody else's roof is the better place, Right? 
And we're not talking about a hole that was the size of, an, of this size where they can put a bucket underneath it in case it rained. We're talking about a stretcher with a man on it. They tore through this roof. And I love the determination of these men. You see, some of us live by circumstance. We take whatever's offered to us. I can imagine these guys saying, well, the house is full. Looks like it wasn't meant for you to be healed. Well, if Jesus really wanted you in there, he would have had a seat reserved for you. But obviously it's not, so therefore we might as well just go on home. But their tenacity and their determination allowed them to build their faith that they were willing to tear a hole in the roof to get this miracle for this man on this stretcher. And to make the long story short, the man was ended up healed and walked out with his bed instead of carried out. Because the other guy says, we're not carrying you back, you better walk home. I'll tell you why some people don't get anything. Because they don't have anything invested in it. You've got to have something invested in the miracle and the answer to your prayers if you want it. These men had a determination that they came too far and that their miracle was just on the other side of those people. And I'm going to close here. Pastor Brent, if you will come in the worship team. In Romans chapter 3, or chapter 5, verse 3, it says this. We can rejoice too. Now this is, this is amazing. We can rejoice too that when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. I'm reading from the Bible. And they help us learn to endure. And endurance develops strength of character in us, and character strengthens our confident expectation of salvation. And this expectation will not disappoint us. For we know how dearly God loves us, and He loves you. And He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. And one other passage of Scripture I want to give to you today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are pressed on every side by troubles. But we are not crushed. I love the word but there. But we are not crushed and we are not broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up and we don't quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. Some of you need to know God's not abandoned you and you felt like he has. We are knocked down, but we get up again and keep going like Weevil Wobble. I added that, by the way. It's not in your Bible. Staying with me this, this morning. The pastor in Dallas had a great quote that I want to give to you today. And the quote is this. There is a God-given greatness on the inside of you. So make your adversity be your university for your greatness degree. Don't fight your crisis. Because your crisis is the thing that God wants to use to make you stronger. And to get you closer to Him. So some of you came in here today and you said, 
if God doesn't show up, if he doesn't give me a word, if he doesn't give me a God wink, then this is it. I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. Some of you have a giving, a give up spirit and an attitude. I'm here to tell you that the Lord sent me to say to you, don't quit, don't give up, because there's a reason and purpose that you're going through. And you will come out on top for all things, all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord. Do you love the Lord? Do you, if you love the Lord, all things, it's, going, it's all going to be good. Just look at your neighbor and say, it, it's all going to be good. Here's how you know when you come out of your crisis. It's the day when you can look at your enemy or the people who have hurt and afflicted you and you can tell them, thank you. Because when you can tell your enemy, thank you, because what you meant for bad, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And if you hadn't done what you did to me, I wouldn't be where I am with God today. So when you can say thank you to them, then you know you've come out of that crisis moment. Stop cursing your crisis when God already has a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he will never put on you more than what you can bear. He knows how much you can take. And you're not in this alone. God is fighting with you. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray that this word goes deep into the hearts and spirits of every man, woman, boy, and girl. Lord, I believe that there are people that wanted to quit and give up. That just have come to the end of the rope. And Lord, that this word today has given them a new spring in their step. Fresh breath in their life. And I thank you for that. And I thank you, Lord, that as I'm closing this out today in prayer, Lord, that you are, have been ministering already and that you're continuing to work and walk through these aisles. And your Holy Spirit is touching hearts and speaking and, and confirming some things. This is a word in due season for some, Lord. And I'm thankful to be that vessel. But I pray for every individual who have been going through a crisis moment, maybe multiple crises. Lord, give them a God wink. Just smile at them. Let them know, Father, that you've got their back. And we thank you, Lord. And you get the glory of all this, Lord. Not one man, not one woman, boy or girl, will get the credit for all that you've done. You get the glory in it all. And we honor you and we worship you. And we thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, everybody said amen. Amen.